Merry, Merry Christmas to you all on this Christmas Sunday worship. I want to especially thank uh, new family and friends for joining us here at Christ Central. It is our tradition to read from God's Word, so I'm just going to turn there from the Holy Scriptures. We're going to look actually at the book of 1 John, chapter 1, the first four verses of 1 John. So it'll be projected uh, overhead. Also, if you brought your Bibles, if you would turn there, let's give our full attention to this, our act of worship. I'll read this for us. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal, the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word for us on this Christmas Sunday. Not a typical passage for Christmas Sunday, but I believe it actually captures its essence. Uh, I have found, especially even this morning at Christmas time, go figure, it's very easy not to think about and not to understand what Christmas means. Especially at Christmas time, it is easy to be distracted. I thought it was a good idea to come together with my wife and my two girls together in a car. Usually that comes separate, but it's Christmas Sunday. Let's have a family trip together down in the garage waiting on my girls at around 8.15. And my youngest daughter comes out at 8.15 on the dot. I need to be here by 9 sharp. And the washer is running. Laundry is being done. My wife, of course, Sonny, turns to Elizabeth and said, Elizabeth, what are you doing? We need to get to church right now. Elizabeth says, oh, I'm doing the express wash. It's a 15-minute load. But mom, I, trust me, I, I, I put it in as, as soon as I woke up. That's what she says. Well, the problem is this morning is that our washer has a timer and actually tells you exactly when it was put in and how many minutes are left. And there's seven minutes left. And of course, when we pointed this out to Elizabeth, she just goes, brah, brah. <laughs> I need to get my clothes done. Sonny and I did not lose it. We don't want to ruin our Christmas Sunday. But all kinds of things are happening. Some of you just barely made it to worship service today. I understand. Shopping, crowds, travel. You're just going to try to get away, get some time off. Catch up with family and friends. Some of us are very, very weary, or this is a very difficult season. You gotta pay off bills and debts. You actually take an accounting of this entire year. 2018 was not a good year for you. It's very easy, amidst all the hustle, all the distractions, all the noises, to not think about and understand what Christmas really means. Here, Apostle John spells it out. It's about the incarnation. God showed up in human flesh. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born. 
and he came to save the world. He came to save the world from her sins. This incarnation, the birth of the Son of God, means at least four things. Means at least four things. Real quick. First, Christmas means it's about grace, not about who's naughty or nice. It's a perfect segue for my daughter's incident, who we did not scold. But if Christmas was for people who were nice and not naughty, the pastor's daughters would not make it. Pastor's wife would not make it. Especially the pastor talking right now, he would not make it. If God came up with a religion that rewards and blesses you on the basis of how nice and good you are versus how naughty and bad you are, the Bible already declares, my friends, I'm sorry to say this, nobody makes it. Nobody makes it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. God is holy. God is pure. There would be no paradise or heaven if imperfect, impure people would be admitted in. So this is why Jesus Christ was born. To save people. To save people. Here's what John says. The word of life or the eternal life. He says it in two different ways. He says that was a person. It's a person. It's not a philosophy. It's not a textbook. It's not principles. It's not a moral code. Listen. He says the word of life or the eternal life was with the Father. That's how John announces it. So this has got to be a person who was with God the Father. And then he goes on to say, we touched him, we heard him, we handled him, we saw him. What does this mean? The word of life, the eternal life, the source and the creator and giver of all of life was made manifest and became a human being. He came down. He came down. He was birthed. He came to you and to me so that we might receive eternal life. We will never obtain it. That is grace. Now, my friends, this is the starting point of Christianity. Please make no mistake, the most popular religion and the most popular misunderstanding of Christianity starts right here. If you still think that Christianity is for good people and to make you gooder, you could not be further from the truth. Christianity is about grace. Grace. The same author quoted Jesus saying in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Same author John, in his gospel, quoted Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice what Jesus never said. Jesus never pointed to someone else, pointed to a program, pointed to a school, pointed to your performance, pointed away from himself. He never pointed to anyone or anywhere else but himself when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Please listen to and pay attention to Jesus carefully. Read all his words and all his sermons. Here's one thing he never says. He never told you how to get to God. He never teaches you how you can inherit eternal life. Jesus repeatedly says the reverse. Here's what he says. I didn't come so that I can teach you and inspire and coach you to go get eternal life or become one with God or live forever or reach nirvana. Jesus never taught like that. Instead, he says, I am God who has come down to you. 
the starting point of Christianity, the difference of Christmas is that it's different from all religions. All religions tell you, be a good person, be nice, raise your kids well, go to church once in a while, and of course you're going to go to heaven. Jesus came and says the utter opposite. Jesus says, I had to be born, I had to live, I had to die, and he had to be raised from death so that he could bring salvation, salvation, salvation from eternal death, not inspiration, salvation, not even imitation, salvation. He is a substitute savior. This is what Apostle John, from the start, announces. Now, I know many of my friends, many of you here, you might have been going to church for many, many years. Please listen carefully to me, my friend. Deep in your hearts, because I hear it all the time. You're thinking, well, that's really nice, pastor. That's your job. You got to talk about Jesus and salvation. But deep in your heart, you're saying, well, this, this is nice for you. It's not nice for me. It really doesn't matter what you believe in. Jesus, Buddha, some of Confucius, some of the philosophers, some of the greats, just mix them all together. Just be a good person. See, your philosophy, your view is, it's nice that you believe in these religious things, but for me, I think what really matters in life is that you just be a good person. Can we just all be good people and get along? Well, that sounds nice. My friend, I actually hope sometimes you were right. It sounds really nice, but it can't be equally right with all the religious views. Can I suggest to you what you're really saying? When you say, it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad, as long as you're a good person, here's what you're really saying. What you're really saying is, you're not as messed up and broken and weak and flawed and sinful like all the religious people are. You're certainly saying, you're not as broken and needy that you need salvation and a savior in Jesus Christ who had to be born as Christian people are. Historically, categorically, for everyone who says it doesn't matter, just be a good person, that is actually called a viewpoint that your life and salvation is complete based on your goodness, your good works. But John says otherwise. Why would Jesus have to be born then? He came to bring grace. Grace. His good works, not yours. His religious performance, not yours. His life, his death, and his resurrection to take my place. So my friends, it's easy to not think about or understand what Christmas really means. Christmas means from the starting point, God had to come all the way down to be birthed as a human baby in Jesus Christ. And he would never have had to have done that if you could just be a good person. He had to go through all of that because we aren't really good people next to God. And Jesus had to do things we could never do for ourselves. So here's who Christmas is really for. It's not for the nice versus the naughty. It's not for good people over the bad people. Christianity always comes to those who are humble, not haughty. Jesus preached, he says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is for those who are poor in spirit, spiritually poor and needy and broken. 
Not those who think they are rich and content and well off. Christmas means at least this first thing. It's about grace. Here's second. Second. Christmas makes manifest. That word is used twice in the ESV. Manifested. Revelation and unveiling. Visible. What did Christmas make manifest? The word of life and eternal life. There's sensory language here, was there not? John says, this word of life was audible. We heard him. John says, this word of life was visible. We saw him. Then he goes on to say, this word of life was tangible and palpable. We touched him. We felt him. All sensory language is employed. Bob Yarbrough, a New Testament scholar and a Greek scholar of ancient history, he says that Apostle John here is not just trying to be redundant, conversational, make a long sentence to sound smart. What he's really doing is he's virtually swearing a deposition. Bob Yarbrough looks at the Greek and what Apostle John is saying, in a court of law, I would testify this way. And what John is really saying is, this is not just a nice story. It's not a Peanuts cartoon. It's not a fable. It's not a legend. We didn't make this up because we so wanted to believe in these things. In fact, the history shows they didn't want to believe in these things. John is saying, it really happened. This really happened. The Christmas story is true. The miracle of God being birthed in Jesus Christ. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him. We ate with him. We slept with him. We felt him. He really lived. He really died. And he really rose. My friends, if Christianity is just a fable, it's just a legend, as most academies and even seminaries might say today, oh, it's just an inspirational fable. Well, then I'll tell you, it's the greatest trick and fraud of all time. It has origins in the Middle East. Jesus was not white or yellow. He was very dark-skinned when he was born. He was Jewish. It's not a white religion, black religion, yellow religion, red, red, red religion. It's an absolute world religion. Because even though it started in the Middle East, is anyone going to argue how much influence it's had on Western civilization and culture? And now... It is exploding, exploding around the world, especially in South, South America and Africa. If this is just a fable, yeah, millions and millions and millions of people are wasting their lives. Stupidest of all, they are the most pitiful of all. Paul says this. Christianity does not stand or fall based on because we want it to be true. Christian people exist because they became convinced it is true. This really happened. Listen, if there's no Christmas, if there is no God, you are on your own. Really, good luck with that. The entire cosmos and the universe has no rhyme or reason. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. You are a blip, meaningless, random accident. Nothing really matters. If there is no God, there's no purpose. If there's no God, there's no grace. 
But if this be true, if this is true, and John says, I'm an eyewitness of it. I'm swearing a deposition about it. It's absolutely true about it. And so many of the early followers, even until the, till today, are giving their lives up for Jesus. Here's the great news. If this is true, you and I can have eternal life with God all by the grace of God. You can go on living forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, never ending. But that's not the best part for a Christian. That you just go on living. It's that you get to go on living with God. Christmas means grace. Christmas makes manifest the word of life, the eternal life. Third, Christmas opens his fellowship of love. John says, I write these things so that you can have fellowship with us. We have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus the Son. What is the ultimate purpose of the incarnation and the birth of Jesus Christ? Listen close. God did not send Jesus just to bless you from afar, inspire you, or become a model for you to imitate from afar. That is not God's ultimate goal. God wants to personally have fellowship with you. God went to infinite lengths. He came all the way down to get close to you. Close to you. Did you know that the Christian religion is the only one that reveals we worship and bow before a triune God, a triune God, one God, but in three persons? Do you know why that is so crucial? You need more than one person to love. You need more than one person to have fellowship with. You need one person to be truly saying, well, I'm very communal and social. It's valuable to me. Only in the Christian religion, we worship one God, but God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And one God in three persons, they've been going on and on and on and on and on, adoring one another, loving one another, submitting to one another in perfect harmony and glory. Forever and ever and ever. I tell my girls all the time, I stole this line from Braveheart. Dad loves you, always have, always will. I tell them almost every day, even as teenagers still, Dad loves you, always have, always will. I tell my wife, Sonny, almost every day, I love you, always have, always will. To those two parties, I always tell them. But they never tell me that. <laughs> and this triangular, this is one part just completely broken down. Not a lot of communication, intimacy from the other end here. It's not the case with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Constant, ongoing, perfect communication and understanding and love. If you have ever, because you didn't really understand what you were saying, especially in marriage vows, you were promising the future to that man or to that woman. To become married means you're promising. It's not a pledge of your present feelings. You're promising vowing the future. What do we say? We, in essence, say, I'm going to love you forever. Or at least until the day I die. But when you're really in love, who here has never said, I'm going to love you till beyond the end of time. I'm going to love you beyond the grave. Well, did you know that love cannot be true? It's nothing but a chemical, biological reaction. 
Love is it the most phony, fake thing you can ever come across if there was nothing but science and evolution? But we all feel and wish and say things like, love should not be bound by time and space. Love is maybe stronger than our little lifespan. Why do we feel that? Why do we wish that? Why do we even hope and pray that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because love is not a created thing. Love is not a temporal thing. Love actually came from God. Love existed before the creation of the world. The love of God created the world. The love of God is sustaining the world. And now the love of God is reconciling and redeeming the whole world. And it is the love of God that you and I would have fellowship with him. I'm going to ask you just some couple questions. You don't have to answer these aloud. Not at all. I'm not here to quiz you on Christmas Sunday, make you feel uncomfortable. But you can surely think about it and answer it in your heart. Here's just some questions. And I want to ask you, are these questions hard to answer? How real has God been to your heart? This week? Or ever? How real is God to your heart? Meaning, what do you do after outside of church when no one's looking? Do you ever have a fellowship in prayer with God? Do you really sense his presence in your life? His amazing love and forgiveness. Hey, you know what? Doesn't happen all the time, but just sometimes. Does your heart get so swept and moved that you can't believe how much God could love you? And that becomes palpable to you? Have you been finding scripture to be alive and active? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? If so, which ones? Last question. Are you conscious of a growing sense of the evil of your heart and in response, a growing dependence on and grasp of the preciousness of the mercy of God? Now that you have attempted to pay attention and try to answer those questions in your heart, do you know where I got these questions from? So the New York Times bestselling author and pastor, former pastor Tim Keller, these are questions that fake Christians cannot really answer. These are the starting questions that fake Christians Cultural, just church going, routine, traditional, observing, that you really have a very hard time answering. But can I tell you this morning, I'm so glad you're here. If you have a hard time answering these questions, if it's really drawing a blank and confusion, maybe even some concern at this point, I want to tell you, God did something about that. God came all the way down. He's not waiting for you to come all the way up. And he was birthed in the person of Jesus Christ to have intimate, intimate fellowship with you. In the early 60s, maybe 1961 to be exact, Nikita Khrushchev declared because they sent a Russian cosmonaut into outer space. Remember this report? Khrushchev declared this in a speech. We sent a man up there. Look, there is no God. We looked. We went into outer space and God is not to be found. And so that witty, brilliant English author by the name of C.S. Lewis, 
He responded in this way, quote, If there was a God, you wouldn't relate to God the way a person who lives on the first floor relates to a person who lives on the second floor? That would be like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle and looking for William Shakespeare. The only way Hamlet can know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. You'll only know something about your creator God if he reveals or writes something about himself into the world, into the play. And C.S. Lewis went on to say, ah, but God did something better than just write some information in. God broke through the veil of the ideal and the real. He launched through time and space. He entered into history, the incarnation. And Jesus was born in the flesh in a manger. This God is not happy or content to be a concept to you. This God is not happy to be a cosmic genie that you come to once in a while. God sent Jesus so that he can have fellowship with you up close and personal. Christmas means grace. It makes manifest the eternal life, the word of life. Third, Christmas opens up his fellowship of love. Last one. Christmas brings And completes our joy. Do you notice how John concludes in verse 4? So that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete. As you know, here at the church, we have been praying for many brothers and sisters in Chengdu, China. Who have been detained and ransacked and harassed and threatened. Still imprisoned. Some probably being horribly mistreated. I've asked you to enter into prayer not just so that our Chinese believers would be emboldened and strengthened. There is something supernatural when you pray for those who are being persecuted. It strengthens and emboldens us. Another report is that one member of early Rain Covenant Church, while he was being detained repeatedly, along with his wife, along with his wife, who actually said the first night she was so terrified, she cried and cried all night, she couldn't go to bed because she was so worried that her husband might die. That was the first time. The second time her husband was taken away, she said she cried a little less. The third time he was taken away, she actually came to a prayer where she surrendered herself to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, if they would come and detain me, I now have some strength and peace. I don't know where it came from, but you can take me now too. Well, the member, while he was being interrogated, has been reciting, the reports say, the book of Philippians. Philippians, four chapters, not too long. He's been reciting the book of Philippians to his interrogators. That's a great book to recite in prison or on your way to prison because the theme of that book is Apostle Paul saying, I have joy even while in prison for the gospel. The book is talking about I have joy that even though hardship and harm comes to me, somehow the word of the gospel is advancing and spreading. You can have joy when no happiness is to be had. 
And so like my Chinese brothers and sisters who recite an entire book of the Bible, not only is that really good for your soul, and I try to not make a joke of this, it's actually really good to pass the time when you're in situations like that. That our joy may be complete. Here's how you get joy this season. Believe me, it's not more shopping. It's not more love relationships. It's not more status. It's not more success. It's not anything this world can afford. Your joy and my joy is made complete, according to Apostle John, is if when you really believe and recite and sing and memorize, and your heart is moved, it's experiential, it's fellowship to you, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that at Christmas he brings grace, eternal life, and fellowship with God. Your joy will explode and be made complete. That when you really believe what Jesus brings at Christmas, and by the way, the next greatest Christmas to come, I count how many Christmases I get to have here at Christ Central. It is an absolute joy and privilege. But you do know they're finite for all of us. The next greatest Christmas to come, Jesus comes back as a fully grown man, sovereign Lord, judge and ruler of the universe. No excuses or arguments or delays will be welcomed then. He will see all and judge all and make everything right. And when Jesus comes back on that future final day to bring in the new heavens and the new world, to bring in his kingdom come in its fullness, the next great Christmas, do you know everything precious, everything lovely, everything true, everything worthwhile, everything good to you will be restored? And at the next greatest Christmas, anything that's been harmful or hurtful, anything that's been shaming, anything that's been addictive, anything that's been dark, anything that has been destructive, demonic, or evil will be reckoned with and change forever. This is how your joy and my joy will be made complete. When you really believe what Jesus brings for first Christmas and the second greatest Christmas to come. Pray with me, pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for my family here. I thank you for new friends and family here this day. And I do ask for miracles. Only miracles can make this happen. Would you give each one a palpable taste, an entrance into fellowship with you through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? May you show us we ought to give up our lives for Jesus gave up his. And that only by your grace, not our good works, not our morality, not our performance, not our record, only by grace, you bless us with eternal life so that our joy may be made complete and God, you might be glorified and pleased above all. Hear us, we pray, and we continue to pray for our dear missionaries around the world to stand strong, not to lose heart, to be bold and winsome and wise and to have supernatural courage 
to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ until you come back. May it be so, the same for us here. Hear us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.